This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. Welcome to another episode of Business Impact. And the good news is spring is sprung, or depending on where you are, about to be sprung. Depends which calendar you use. The Gaelic calendar has it earlier. The Northern Hemisphere has it slightly later. And if you went to primary school in Ireland, you'll have a different one even again. But I think most people looking around will see the great new signs of growth there is. There is talk of inflation surges, of course, and war in the East. But things are a lot brighter, literally. Just look out your back garden or... If you want to go down to the local park, to see the great colours and signs of new growth are everywhere from the hedgerows over to the plants. So you are joining us today for a really fascinating episode. We'll be talking all things finance and regular listeners will know that we tend to stay, steer a little bit clear of heavily abstract mathematical or quantitative finance topics, mainly because the host, whoever he is, is deeply uncomfortable with mathematics and particularly algebra and statistics right from my school days. Not necessarily ideal for a host of a business or financial podcast, I know, but my guest today is going to help me and going to help me work through this topic. And she is a leading authority and expert in the area of financial models, quantitative finance and econometrics. She is a woman very much in a man's world traditionally, and our podcast episode today, I think, will hopefully alter that perception somewhat. She's also our first ever Italian guest, would you believe? We've had Germans, Spaniards, We've had a lot of Irish people, we've had Canadians, we've had Americans, we've even had a Texan. But we are having our first Italian guest today, and she comes from a small town outside the big city of Milan. She is Dr. Dr. Alessia Paganini, and she's ranked among the top five female economists in the world and top 8% of economists generally around the world based on her publication record. And here at UCD, she's academic director of the Masters in Quantitative Finance program and co-chair of the UCD STEM group. She's also been, by the way, a visiting professor at our own Central Bank of Ireland here in Dublin. So very welcome along. Alessia, how are you? Hi, thanks so much, Amit. I'm very honoured to be here in your podcast series. Yes, uh, I've given you a good introduction, so don't feel any pressure at all. <laughs> uh, the top 5%, the top 8%, but your publication record is really stellar. You're, you're dealing with a topic that a lot of our listeners will know, some of them will be intimidated by. I know that as well from talking to various people who listen to the podcast, but we're going to have a kind of a broad look at the discipline and also talk about who's in that discipline and what makes it tick generally. But before we do any of that, how does a, a leading Italian academic end up over in Dublin? What, what's been your own personal journey to the, the post you currently hold? Well, and in personal, I was on academic international job market. I saw an announcement from UCD. I was attracted and I knew some other Italians in Dublin at the Central Bank of Ireland at Trinity College. I said, why not? I applied and I got a position. So I'm very happy to uh, live here in Dublin. I love uh, Ireland. So I'm very, very glad to represent Italians in Dublin and in Ireland too. Now, listen, it's a tough area, your area of financial modelling and econometrics. It's tough for those outside, not tough for those who are inside. It obviously it comes as second nature. But what got you interested in 
that whole world? Were you, were you good at mathematics when you were in school and, and when you moved into college as well? Was it something early in your life you just you just had a kind of a, a competence in straight away or did you have to kind of pick it up as you went along? I was always very curious about everything and in particular about mathematics when I was at school. But during my bachelor studies in Italy at Bocconi University, I was sitting in econometric class. At that point, I say, okay, I would like to be professor in econometrics. And I now I'm a professor in this topic. Honestly, I really love uh, studying uh, mathematics uh, or uh, statistics, and in particular, studying economics. Uh, we are exposed to different kind of models. And uh, um, what I want uh, to do is just uh, sit down. Uh, Take a model, consider if this model is able to explain the reality, the data, and what econometrician does in, the, in this sense. So we uh, look at uh, different uh, kind of models and we try to figure out if these uh, models are good to explain the reality. Because uh, sometimes in economics and also in finance, uh, we have a lot of abstract uh, theoretical models. We have a lot of uh, uh, mathematical equation, okay? And, uh, and sometimes I feel that my contribution is to understand if this kind of model are able to be close to the reality. And in particular, when we take data, we can understand using statistics if these models are good or not under different hypotheses. And what I like to teach and also what I do for my research. Now, every discipline, every sub-discipline, every area of a research and intellectual endeavor, I suppose, has an image, has a, has a perception, has a stereotype. And traditionally, we had the quants who were, were this group of people that kind of came into markets in the 1980s and 90s. And then in, they were very much highlighted before the financial crash, the great financial crisis of 2008 and onward. And these quants, you know, they were generated, there was a few books written about them. They were often photographed. They're generally seen as male, nerdish kind of figures who are trying to find arbitrage opportunities, et cetera, in the markets. And the part I'm interested in, and I think you are as well, is as how the discipline is perceived. And that male-centered view of the discipline is there for many years. But you've been going about some very interesting initiatives to change that perception. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you know, how, how male-centered the discipline of finance is, or is it improving? And secondly, what you've been doing to try and change some of those perceptions. It's so sad that in finance and economics, there are very, very few women, and in particular in academic. We are a very close club in this sense because there is not a lot of diversity. But in the last year, there are a lot of improvement. For example, in what I do in terms of research, I attend a lot of conferences, and sometimes I'm the only one woman in the audience or the speaker. And it's something that uh, nowadays is going to be a little bit uh, better because uh, there are a lot of PhD students, uh, for example, a lot of female PhD students working in uh, finance on in macroeconomics. Instead, uh, for example, uh, 20 years ago, 
the majority of PhD students, of the main PhD students, were interested in developing economics or something that was not traditional finance and macroeconomics. So, in my opinion, lack of role models make students not able to figure, for example, themselves to be. Uh, in finance, to be in economics. And that's why it's very important for me as a professor, a female professor uh, teaching in the finance department, in particular in master in finance, to be able to attract a lot of students working in this discipline. And uh, for this aim, I'm uh, working with an international network financed by European Commission uh, to create a better world for women, in particular in finance and digital finance. And thanks to the European Commission uh, for uh, the cost action project I'm involved, uh, we are uh, creating a lot of workshop uh, to help uh, uh, PhD students, in particular uh, female PhD students, uh, to showcase uh, their research. And uh, we are working uh, to create role models for high school students, not only for bachelor students, because it's quite important uh, to say to people, okay, uh, if you like mathematics, if you like finance, if you like economics, even if you are a girl, you can uh, enter in this uh, male world because there is a space for everybody. So we would like to make uh, uh, finance uh, and economics very inclusive under a different aspect. And since uh, I'm, as you say, one of the few women working in this uh, discipline, I would like to help uh, the future student to enter in this world. Yes, and it's worth mentioning uh, for our listeners, it's over now, but last year in September, you were involved in organizing the Women in Fintech Conference, which UCD had a role in. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School, and, and you've played a really leading role in trying to break down some of those barriers. And, and what I find interesting is this role models um, argument that you're making, that that's the key touchstone here, is that there just isn't enough women in finance for other women who might aspire to that as a career choice to see. Do, do you think that's the main blockage, or is there a few other structural things going on or legacy issues that also need to be looked at? As I said, the role model uh, is uh, one of the uh, big aspects. And also, we don't need uh, to train female uh, students uh, in this sense, but also male students to say, OK, it's normal to have a colleague who is uh, uh, a female. And I think, uh, for example, every time I talk to my colleagues about uh, this point, I make an uh, uh, example of the Marvel movies. In the Marvel movies, nowadays, if you watch, there is always a woman scientist. They will is always uh, some women at the leadership position. And that's a very important because uh, uh, I think that nowadays, if uh, you are uh, a teenager, you can watch uh, this kind of movie and say, okay, so it's a normal if uh, uh, a female is a leader or a scientist, and uh, it could be for a girl or for a boy. So we need to make uh, a more inclusive world in this sense. That's a very important. The other thing that occurs to me is, I don't know how closely you've been following this, but here in Ireland, we've been dealing with the issue of mathematics as a discipline as well. There, there seems to be a drop off in the amount of students that want to take the higher level um, mathematics paper over recent years, although they've started to readdress that somewhat. So, so do you think that, you know, we've got a gender issue here, but do we also have on top of that, layered on top of that, an issue with mathematics as a discipline 
that that that's not seen necessarily as attractive or, or, or do you have any any thoughts on that well uh, it's a very interesting aspect i mean um i think that in the last year if uh, you are an high student high school student and if you like mathematics maybe you don't see yourself entering in a bachelor in mathematics as uh, some years ago because there are a lot of other attractive bachelor degrees for example computer computer science, or even economics and finance, because I think that nowadays, uh, if you take a bachelor, for example, in mathematics, it sounds like a very theoretical, and maybe you want something that is able uh, to leave you a job after your bachelor. Most probably, uh, some years ago, um, you decide, okay, let's go uh, to study mathematics, and let's see, maybe if uh, I would like to understand something more, I need, uh, for example, a specialization, I will take a master. So I think that uh, it's just um, something that uh, is a general trend, and I don't think uh, that that is a trend also in Ireland. It's something that is very general because nowadays uh, we have a much uh, wider offer in terms of uh, bachelor degrees and uh, of course uh, if uh, uh, you like mathematics uh, maybe you can see yourself also in other disciplines not only mathematics so you should be like a really genius in mathematics maybe you can decide uh, for example uh, to take an academic career after that I say okay let's go with mathematics and let's see what happens but it's a very interesting aspect. Maybe uh, I can discuss it with my colleagues from uh, UCD Math to understand uh, what's going on. Even if I know that there are very interesting programs, for example, uh, where there is mathematics and economics, and uh, we try to collaborate in this sense to make uh, some courses in uh, finance and economics available also for um, uh, mathematics students. And I think that something that uh, is just an evolution of preference of a student. Yes, and there's so much more computing power now needed to do these models that you're talking about. So do a lot of students have to not just be good at maths in the old-fashioned sense of school-level maths, but there, there's, there's a real need to be very accomplished in the whole world of computing because you put the two pieces together, right? You, you put your hypothesis together with the, the computer assistance and, and the benefits of technology. So, so do you think um, students, if you were advising them, w would you put them on two tracks? Yes, there's the maths piece, but there's also developing your technological skills is that something that you would also encourage students to develop? Of course, yes. I mean, I think that uh, if you are a student, uh, and in particular if you are interested in economics and finance, the first job you will get after the degree, it will be a job in front of a computer. And uh, nowadays we are living a big data area. And in this sense, what does it mean? It means that uh, you will have a lot of data to handle for any kind of job. And uh, knowing uh, basic uh, coding languages, for example, nowadays uh, in our bachelor and master program, we provide students uh, with different uh, uh, code language like Python, R, or MATLAB. It could be something that is vital because if you are a firm, if you are a bank, uh, you need, uh, of course, to uh, deal with data, you need some statistics, uh, you need uh, some picture coming from the data. And if you are very confident uh, using this kind of codes, uh, it could be a good asset and uh, you will get a very good job in this sense. I think that um, 
as you say, now the mathematics is very important uh, and is uh, uh, the base for everything. Uh, it's like an alphabet. But uh, uh, it seems that nowadays you uh, should know something more than mathematics. So you should be able uh, to analyze data. You should be able to know statistics. You needed to know a lot of things. And uh, I'm quite sure that uh, in 20 years, if uh, we are uh, recording again uh, this uh, podcast, uh, I will uh, find you something more that uh, you should be able to know machine learning, deep learning, or other fancy new uh, tools uh, very well to get a good job. So you see that there is a continuous evolution of expertise. Well, what I like about what you're saying there is this emphasis on models, okay? Because that's so topical at the moment. <laughs> and I want to get your reflections on this. We're all drowning in models of one particular issue, which is the spread of a virus that we've been dealing with for the last two years and some. And that is the models that epidemiologists have produced as a community. This has really driven public policy in the North America, in Europe and Asia and other parts of the world as well, trying to, I suppose, in one sense, forecast, and I know that's a loaded word in this um, sphere, but trying to forecast where a disease will progress, how it will infect a certain number of the population, what are the variables, human behavior, vaccination, etc. You know, we've all learned these models, we've seen the pictures the X and Y axis all over social media for the last few months. So modeling is in at the moment, Alessia, as a discipline modeling for certain statistical events. Everyone has become well versed and immersed in this world. So when you talk about models, and I know you deal with economic and financial models, but have you been interested in what's been happening with COVID-19 and the way we've all become sort of amateur model readers, whether we like it or not? That must have been an interesting experience for you as, as, as somebody who does this for a professional reason. We know that uh, since COVID-19, almost, uh, all researchers change uh, their topics in the sense that uh, they start to understand uh, COVID under different point of view. And of course, uh, economists and financial economists started to consider how their model could help to understand what's going on in terms of COVID. As you say, the epidemiological models became very popular also in the news. And also a lot of macroeconomists start to think how to use this kind of model englobing some macroeconomic details. In my case, I didn't use, I didn't model anything in this sense, but I use several predictions produced by these epidemiological models uh, to work in a project uh, with uh, some authors where we use uh, a specific test for forecasting uh, the data of COVID-19. And we were able to understand a couple of aspects. First of all, that uh, when uh, you look, uh, for example, at the forecast uh, produced by a model, uh, it could be better uh, to use a result from a bunch of models. For example, for United States, there is a very well-maintained web page where you can find the forecast of COVID-19 produced by several teams. What does it mean? It means that um, each university, more or less, or each uh, research center produced a different model. That could be epidemiological model or it could be based uh, more on machine learning technique, on big data. 
And uh, we uh, took uh, the predictions and we uh, used uh, a specific test produced by uh, two of my co-authors uh, to understand uh, the difference in terms of prediction in the short term because uh, when we are working uh, with uh, health data, it's very important uh, to consider the uh, short term means uh, we need to consider what happens uh, in the next uh, week, uh, not uh, in uh, the long term in the next uh, year, because uh, uh, everything will be different. And in that case, we were able to understand that it could be better uh, for the policy institution to consider not only one uh, uh, forecast, not only one model, but a combination of different forecasts. That is something uh, very uh, important because uh, sometimes a model uh, can make uh, a wrong prediction, but having uh, more uh, models uh, on your desk uh, combined uh, together under a statistical econometric point of view, you can get a better picture of what's going on. But one of the tests we set for our academic guests on this podcast is to explain their work in in <laughs> in the most accessible manner possible. Uh, some have done well, others not so. But to be fair, it's not easy to condense and cram down in a few minutes a, a big research record and a big research interest. So you deal with the area of uncertainty, Alessia, which is to me fascinating for a start. Just even the word is interesting because it's in what surrounds and frames our lives. But in terms of what you do, can you give our listeners a little idea of, at a very simple level, because I know you do a lot of very abstract, complex models in this area, but can you give us a, a kind of a brief synopsis of the uncertainty work that you do? Or is there a common thread that runs through your various pieces of research that's something that you're you're looking at very specifically? Recently, I'm working uh, on uncertainty in different uh, papers. And uh, what, what is it, uncertainty in economics and in particular macroeconomics? Uncertainty is uh, simply the lack of uh, predictability and is uh, forward-looking, something that is forward-looking. We don't know uh, what's going on. For example, we can take a couple of events that happened in the last year. The global financial crisis was something that it was predicted by a few people, but not by the majority, and it was a very uncertain period for the economy. And recently, the COVID-19 was a very uncertain period for everybody, and it was not predicted easily by, in particular, economists and people working in finance. So you see that uncertainty is something that is very important because we would like to understand if this kind of event can affect the business cycle, can affect, for example, inflation, consumption, investment, and industrial production. So how we do in a technical aspect? We take a measure of uncertainty. And there are several measures. I can mention a couple of them that are very, very popular also in news. The first one is the VIX. The VIX is a financial uncertainty indicator that represents the implied volatility of a stock market. 
And the second one is the economic policy uncertainty indicator. This indicator is coming from a fancy uh, machine learning technique, text analysis. So it happens that uh, there is a group of people reading all journals all around the world, and they are collecting how many times uh, they are, for example, mention of COVID, war, or other disaster events, and they create this indicator. And uh, these indicators are very, very important and they change every day. So you see that the uh, behavior of this kind of indicator uh, is uh, represented every day at a high frequency. Okay. But uh, when you are working, for example, in uh, economics, you are dealing with some indicators that are produced at monthly or quarterly level such as of inflation, uh, consumption, industrial production. And uh, it's very, very hard to be able uh, to uh, model uh, these indicators together because uh, you have uh, the uncertainty indicator produced at the daily level that is uh, uh, very timely for a specific period. And if you take the average, in a month, maybe you are losing a lot of information. And a recent paper with my co-author, Fabio Parla, who worked in this direction uh, to create a novel model uh, to make an high-frequency indicator, and uh, that is uh, the uh, uncertainty indicator represented at daily level, and a uh, low-frequency indicator that is represented by uh, the industrial production, consumption, inflation, able to live together, and we make a more appropriate estimation. Another important point about the uncertainty is that if today uh, there will be a very uncertain event, okay? And uh, if you are in a recessionary phase of economy, uh, the effect of uncertainty can be worse than you are in expansionary phase of economy. And in other recent paper with Valentina Colombo, another co-author of mine, we are working in this direction to understand uh, the different effect of uncertainty when you are in a recession and in expansion. And in particular, uh, we study what is it the role of a monetary policy in the United States in the last year. And we stress out how the quantitative easing uh, was very important uh, to sustain uh, the economy during the last uh, period to avoid uh, worse recessionary effects. And one of the things um, we have had to debate a lot, particularly around COVID, was whether models are predictive. Are they forecasts? And those who are in who produce them say they are not. The wider public sort of then says, well, what is the purpose of the model if it doesn't tell you what's going to happen? And particularly in areas like economics, but also in disease, um, char charting disease, and and where it might go. Where, where do you sit on that debate in, in terms of you know what is the role of a model and what is the role of a modeler? in the economy and uh, in wider society you know what how important is the work is it sort of an academic exercise to you know make the the discipline better and improve the discipline or does it have a a wider contribution to make to help uh, policymakers and so on get their decisions better informed as you say, sometimes in academia, uh, we are producing a lot of models, a lot of uh, exercise that sometimes uh, no one is going to read in this sense. 
But what I would like to do, and particularly in a lot of my papers, uh, um, I like to give a lot of suggestions to policymakers, to central banks uh, in particular, and uh, using uh, some models uh, or some uh, uh, estimation of the models uh, um, able uh, to be used for a policy uh, exercise or for forecasting. And in particular, when we talk about policy exercise, uh, we are talking uh, to understand, uh, to assess the fact of uh, some uh, shock. Let's assume that there is uh, an increase of interest rate in uh, um, uh, a system, in an economy. Uh, what happens uh, to uh, the uh, consumption, to industrial production, to the other indicators? So what I do uh, every day uh, when I have uh, a model in front of me is just to play a model. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just a game, just to understand what's going on with this kind of model, to understand the different scenarios. Let's assume that we have uh, this shock. Let's assume that we have an increase of taxes. What happens to consumer? And I think that uh, this exercise um, is a very interesting uh, for our for academics, but also very useful. And every time I sit down to work a new project, I try to understand that if this project is not only for a good academic publication, but it could be very useful in terms of policies, useful for the community to understand something new that was not clear before me. That's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the work in particular uh, in terms of empirical uh, macroeconomics, uh, empirical finance. Well, it's good to hear. It's good to see that you're valuing thought leadership and, and sort of a, a civically minded uh, researcher. That's a really good thing to see. It's, you don't find it everywhere. And certainly quantitative people I've dealt with over the years, they're not always necessarily in that camp. So uh, more power to you. It's been a fascinating conversation, Alessia. Good luck with your work. Um, keep plugging away on making the whole area more diverse. I think it is happening, but slowly. And as I said, once again, you get the award for our first Italian guest on the podcast. It's been a great conversation and enjoy the rest of the year. And thanks for joining us on Business Impact. So thanks very much. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Corscadden, Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Business Impact.